Hi, I'm Dee Sterling. I'm a lover of language and languages. I'm a storyteller. I'm also a businesswoman and the co-founder of Center for Entrepreneurs. Welcome to my podcast, Double Espresso with Dee. Over coffee, a very strong one in my case, I will get curious with my guests about their journeys in life and business and how they practice living courageous, creative and interesting lives. Mike, it's fantastic to see you. Welcome to Double Espresso with Dee. And you have your coffee there, which makes me very happy, as I yeah, really love great. coffee, as you know. What, what's your favorite coffee? Um, do you know what? I'm pretty basic when it comes to coffee. <laughs> I, I, I kind of live by Nespresso. Uh, I have my Nespresso subscription. Uh, I actually really like the vanilla, the vanilla Nespresso. Um, it's pretty, pretty good. I know, it, I know. I can see your face dropping there as a coffee fan. Like, Italian purist <laughs> here. No, no, I love Nespresso, well, I right? <laughs> I know, I know. I don't, I, I don't put milk in my coffee. If that wins me any points back, I yeah, just definitely, kind of pour that back, definitely. But. And I love the subscription model, which is something that we look at in lots of businesses, right? So, Mike, listen, yeah. super excited to have you here today. Um, really great to you be know, here. Thanks for having me. No, pleasure. And obviously, you and I go back a long way. So, I mean, at least 10 years. Uh, I can't wow, imagine yeah. you not being in my and our life at Centre for Entrepreneurs. So when we started, you know, what was then the New Entrepreneurs Foundation, you were you uh -huh. were one of the first on the first cohort. You believed in us. Yes. And, you know, you've been with us in, in, in different guises, but always very present ever since. And for that, we are eternally grateful, I have to say. Wow, thank you. So well, I mean, it's the, the thing with New Entrepreneurs Foundation and, and obviously now the Sense for Entrepreneurs, mm. I always say that all roads lead to NEF and, and, and CFE because just it's one of those fantastic networks that when you're when you're a part of, there's so many like-minded, energized people that just opportunities and fun and friendships and partnerships and partners and all sorts comes out of it. So it's I, I'm not involved because I have to be. That's that's for sure. I'm involved because I absolutely love it and what you built there is phenomenal. So no, well, thank you. Job. And you've really been a key and fundamental part of that. So, Mike, for people who don't know you, I'm just gonna give a really short little overview of your vast accomplishments and uh, I mean seriously as I say I don't think you sleep at night because you pack an awful lot yeah. in so when you were on the program you met your wonderful co-founder and Absolutely. you know you you continued because you'd already been on the entrepreneurial journey to launch businesses together and you co-founded Turn Partners so UK-based studio startup focusing on acquisitions turnarounds of existing businesses and also launching new businesses in the digital space you turned around the niche dating agency, Toy Boy Warehouse, which yeah. um, you tried to get me to sign up for quite a long time ago. And we will be returning <laughs> to that shortly. <laughs> um, One of my favorite topics. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I cannot wait. So achieving over 2000% revenue in 18 months, you know, because you were manning and, and at the helm. Uh, you co-founded Hopper, which is the ultimate Instagram organization and planning tool, probably never a better time for that with the way Instagram is going. And that's a standalone business today, operating in over 75 countries, no mean feat. You've co-founded Waybook, which is a training and onboarding tool for businesses, which grew out from what I understand, the necessity that you saw with clients, with agencies that you were working with and so forth. Mm -hmm. And also you at Turn Partners, back emerging businesses through your investment portfolio. I'd love to hear about that as well. In addition, seriously, <laughs> In addition to all of that, you uh, speak and deliver training programs and workshops uh, for entrepreneurs, for corporates, 
globally. You are a co-founder of Enterprise Academy, which really looks at underdeveloped markets, Europe, Middle East, Africa, with a big focus on sub-Saharan Africa, and really giving an opportunity to others by designing programs for aspiring entrepreneurs, whether they aspire to have a business of 50,000 people or, or five. It's really supporting that community, which is incredible. And you are a teaching fellow in entrepreneurship at UCL, and you have won a number of awards. You have a doctorate of science from Aston University for your contribution to entrepreneurship and enterprise, and a British Empire Medal from the Queen, no less, for supporting young entrepreneurs in this country. So question one, do you sleep? And where does the energy come from? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. If, I think we're done with this podcast. Though. You've just no, you've just covered all no, that. we've that's just started. A, <laughs> uh, yes, I do sleep. I, I love my sleep. I think. I think actually, at the moment, I must say it's probably the busiest I've ever been uh, mm. and and ever felt. So, um, what what I, what I find actually is I I really. I get in flow quite quickly. So I'm not very good at working for long periods of time. I work with some of our development team and if I'm in the same room with them, they kind of hate me because I (laughs) want to talk every 10 minutes or 20 minutes. But actually I can work in short, sharp bursts and I think that that's probably contributed to the ability to work across multiple things. But of course that comes with massive limitations of not being able to go super deep into certain things. But I must say one thing, and, 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 and I can't take any credit for the design of this, but actually, in, in the last couple of years, there's been a real combination of the sort of work that I have done. So if you look at the, the work that I do at UCL and uh, with Enterprise Academy, really, that is just talking about what I've learned from entrepreneurship and br- bringing in a lot of my friends that run amazing businesses to actually create phenomenal training programs and training courses for budding entrepreneurs. So it's basically just talking about what you do. And then that is really fed by the experiences that I've had with intern partners. And where I'm spending most of my time at the moment is within Waybook, which is our our latest, uh, most recently launched business. And essentially, all that is, is just talking about scaling businesses and building tools to help scaling those businesses. So it's a lot of stuff, but there's a real, there's a real central point around kind of creating efficiencies, adding value and and just totally essence of entrepreneurship. Totally. And also, you know, it's a, excuse the pun, but it's like an ecosystem, right? Because there's this coherence across everything you do. And that's the magic in a way, isn't it? You know, everything feeds off everything else. And I think also that real life experience, and I mean, God, you had some and and then more that you can bring into, you know, the workshops to uh, your university work and so forth. So Mike, you know, you've been setting up businesses since you were a child, effectively. And you often say that you're unemployable because, you know, you've got ideas going mile a minute. You're very creative. You always want to challenge. You always have another question. Where did it all start for you? Question one. And question two, there's a lot of talk about what makes an entrepreneur, you know, and sometimes you just want to have a lie down in a dark room because there's so many schools of thought. Well, it's I, you could distill them into two, effectively. One, you're born an entrepreneur. What does that mean with risk appetite and a certain mindset? Some very notable entrepreneurs believe that anyone can be an entrepreneur. And I also believe that today is like the best time ever in the world to be an entrepreneur for all sorts of reasons. Give me your views on, on you know, where, where it started for you and, and that theme of being an entrepreneur intrinsically. Sure. So, so taking that first question, really, I think 
I mean, I, I've reflected on this quite a lot, particularly when, when you're in entrepreneurship education, you almost want to unpick what those drivers are. And I think for me, it was it was boredom initially. <laughs> I kind of realised that when I, when I was younger, I just never really wanted to be doing that one thing. I never really wanted to be kind of just focusing. I, I kind of just got bored of everything that I was doing. And I think quite early on, I got into the sense of, or I understood what value adding was or, or value right. creation and this largely came through lots of conversations with my parents, to be honest with you, early, early on. I mean, they were always really encouraging of, you know, taking things apart, both both mentally and physically, and then kind of putting things back together in different ways. And I think I quickly realized that I wasn't good at art. I wasn't good at, you know, building things. I wasn't good at a lot of stuff. But actually, what I was good at, at really understanding people, really understanding kind of what people could want and actually problem solving essentially that was kind of my my kind of raw skill set if you like so then actually how that transformed into entrepreneurship was just pairing that boredom and problem solving together just means that I just threw a lot of stuff at the wall and I I mean I remember when I was 13 I, I wrote letters to lots of companies that I liked as a kid so you know Chris brands and sugar companies and stuff like that and telling them that I had the most amazing idea for their next marketing campaign right. I didn't have any ideas I just thought I'd see what came up and then actually <laughs> Silver Spoon Sugar um, got in touch and actually hosted a meeting with a marketing director and a few other people around a big board table and invited me in to and how old were ideas. you at this point I, I was 13 uh, oh you were 13 um, and, yeah and, and actually it Do you was rock quite, up in a suit formative I definitely wore a suit. Yeah, I actually vividly remember it. It was kind of like some awful pinstripe suit that I'm, I can't remember where, where I must have got it from. But yeah, it was amazing because actually they didn't take any of my ideas, but they did give me a big bag of sugar products. But more importantly, it was the fact that actually for me at 13, I had a sense that I could create from nothing something that added some sort of value or at least got some sort of attention from a group of people or a business that felt unattainable before you kind of made that step and for me that then just removed all barriers of what I thought could and couldn't be possible. So how did that feel because there's something incredibly exciting about ground zero right and that is the incredible thing about starting anything you literally are starting from nothing even if you have aggregate skills knowledge uh, expertise experience etc and there's something incredible about that feeling how did you feel as a young person I mean clearly you were a baby right but you know as you say from there therefore you never thought there were going to be any barriers never felt there were barriers what was the feeling you had at that time and has it stayed with you yeah totally I guess it's excitement and I guess it's almost it's almost doing something that isn't necessarily expected or easily attainable it's almost like a challenge Mm. right so uh, and I find it now, even uh, in terms of it staying with me, we, we've we've launched Waybook about a year and a half ago. And those early wins, and we're still very much in the early wins, they're the best because you're you're breaking new ground, right? So growth, growing a thousand pound in Waybook on an MRR basis compared to growing 10,000 pound in, in Hopper, for example, I'm more excited about the Waybook uh, growth course, because actually it's, it's, it's just breaking that new ground. It's, yeah. It's figuring out new ways of doing stuff. Yeah. It's 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 kind of value. I, can, I always go back to value creation and, and value right. add, right. both as a business to kind of customers or, or society or whatever, but also as an entrepreneur to those businesses. And that's really what, what motivates and, and kind of incentivizes me. So from that, 
What's your view on being an entrepreneur? Do you think anyone can really do it? Because as you and I know, it's not always a laugh. And, you know, you have to be able to laugh, actually. I mean, being able to have a good old laugh. I mean, being Irish, we love having a laugh, right? But, you know, that has saved me so many times in difficult times because, you know, you could be in a dire situation or climbing uphill, but your ability to, to laugh with the people around you, your business partners and so forth, just saves the day, you know, a bit of sense of humor. Yeah. Do you think it's intrinsic in a, in a human being to be able to do and be an entrepreneur? Or do you think they're just those types that make it? Yeah, I think I look, if, if, I, if I look at the types of entrepreneurs that I admire, and, and a lot of these entrepreneurs, by the way, are not your classic Musk, Gates, you know, kind of radical, or not, not the kind of media entrepreneurs. They're actually the entrepreneurs that I've worked with through our development program. So these are kind of entrepreneurs in Sudan who have the worst sanctions against them but are creating a lemon canning company or right. or like a drone company yeah. or a snake venom farm or you know th- these sorts of just pure hustle like great grind entrepreneurs and actually the, the more I travel and the more I work with entrepreneurs across the world the more I feel like anyone can be an entrepreneur and I think that there's a certain there's a certain attitude that people need but I don't I don't necessarily believe that that attitude is built in I think that that attitude can arise based on certain circumstances and certain situations so people need to want something oh 100% now, doesn't have to be money you've got to they want it to enough want... yeah you, you, you you've got to you've got to have and, and this is what we call kind of driver motivation right but quite often people don't can't unpick exactly what their driver motivation is Others can manufacture it with vision boards or, you know, external influences or whatever. Whatever that is, I think that's an essential element to entrepreneurship. Then I think just that grit and that hustle, which in kind of words we might understand more, is really just that pure resilience and the ability to not give up. Yes, maybe laugh through it, as you're saying, and whatever else, but just get up and go again. And then paired with very tangible, teachable skill sets. So this is, you know on a granular level, it could be pricing, it could be negotiation, it could be all of the sorts of things that the Centre for Entrepreneurs on on the Fast Track programmes and and many other great programmes actually teach. But I feel like that as a combination is a package for an entrepreneur. But I also think that those skill sets are not cookie cutter. Um, And if you have the more drive and grit and determination you have, the more you'll just learn that sort of stuff on the way. And quite often when I speak to an entrepreneur or, or, or someone who wants to be an entrepreneur who hasn't quite made the jump, quite often they haven't made the jump because they don't have the funding, they don't have the idea or they don't have the, like a specific skill set that they think they want. But the reality is, is because they don't have the drive, the grit or the determination. And if they had, if they turned that, the drive, the grit, the determination up a little bit, the rest of it would just follow. You don't, you know, this is controversial. You don't need an idea to be an entrepreneur. You can go to a car boot sale, buy a couple of items and sell them on eBay and then you've got a business. You I, know? I, I totally what, agree. It and it's, it's, you know, people think they've got to come up with the next iPhone, but those are very, very few and far between, you know, decades between that and the next whatever, right? It's basically meeting, you know, I always talk about meeting a need, need solving a problem. That's what most businesses are based on. And, and most businesses aren't new because there isn't much new out there apart from the odd yeah. genius idea, right? So Mike, when you um, came out of the NEF program and, you know, you, you guys put your hands to turn partners, what was the genesis for that? And I'd like to explore also, you know, the model of co-founders, because often I talk to 
people I, I advise or, you know, people on our program about, you know, building businesses. And this is a theme. A lot of people think that if they have a co-founder, it will be easier. If they have a co-founder, they will have support. We know it's not always like that. It can be very trying and difficult. And and I think it's a very different thing having a co-founder from, you know, surrounding yourself with very talented people who bring skills that you don't necessarily have, but you can orchestrate and drive from the front. So talk me through a little bit, you know, both of those. Yeah, sure. So so how um, how Term Partner started was actually incredibly organic, and over time, I can't I can't remember a time where James. So so you mentioned I met my co-founder, his name is James Wadi, and there was never a time where either of us asked the question, "Do you want to be my co-founder?" Like it, it kind of just it kind of just, just developed over time. <laughs> Yeah, we just started, and, and and actually another credit. This is not an advert for for the Sense for Entrepreneurs, but another massive credit of of the program is throughout your your time, <laughs> throughout your time together, you basically are just te- like just experimenting with a massive group of people, and you're naturally drawn to people that you complement better or work together better, and things like of that. Of course. So the actual genesis for Term Partners was us in a almost in project mode, trying to find a project that we could both enjoy and sink our teeth into, we actually started working on subscription boxes. So when we left the program, we were actually doing a subscription box for for, for fitness supplements. And we just kind of tested a few different ideas out. We actually launched that. It didn't work out, uh, but we made a bit of money, interestingly enough. Well done. Work. <laughs> and then I was, thank you. I was doing uh, some consultancy work at the time. And um, I came across somebody who wanted some support with, with sorting out the commercial model for, for a business they were starting. But I realized she also had a dating business, which is which is Tori Warehouse. And it was fantastic. It was such an incredible business, a real community behind it. But Julia, the, the founder and, and the owner at the time, just had lost a bit of interest in it. Right. So I said to James, after I met Julia, I called James and I said, we're going into dating. Like, this is <laughs> this is a fantastic idea, a fantastic I love it. Oh um, my God. <laughs> It's, it was so good. And actually, because of that, we decided as much as we love the business, it didn't match the kind of heights of the ambitions that we had for our kind of entrepreneurial career. So we agreed that what we'll do is we'll, we'll look at this as a project and maybe we'll take on a few other projects. We'll do a few other things. So actually, let's kind of consider it not as the business, but a business within a business. Uh, and then that's how Town Partners was born. Um, partly because we didn't want to be branded the toy boys for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and, and secondly, I because understand. we kind of wanted to, we wanted to snowball with that. You know, we wanted to, we wanted to see how far it could take us and what we could do. And yeah, so that that's how it started. Well, I mean, fantastic. And how that business, obviously, um, you know, with you and James being involved, expanded, grew, revenues, you know, went through the roof. What... What were, what were the highs of that time and the lows? And also, what did you learn there that you've taken into, I mean, into very different businesses subsequently? Mm, yeah, so, um, wow. I mean, when we, when, we, when we first acquired that business, we acquired 90% of it. And, right. and um, as part of the acquisition, we'd guaranteed monthly money to, for, the, for the remaining 10% for, for Julia. That, that right. was part of the acquisition. And trying to turn around a business where you'd sunk all of your money into it, so you didn't really have any other capital, um, and all of the profit was basically going outside, um, is really tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really hard. So the lows were basically the whole 
the hot well no, i'm kind of joking here but the, the whole first year right because it was just tough um a grind but, but it was it was so yeah i mean it was just phenomenal in terms of i don't think we've ever shifted like it you know we we, we were so hands-on um the, the highlights were also exactly the same time because that was where all the excitement was um we had a few moments that that really were quite stressful we, we had to kind of cheap out on our dev a little bit right so we ended up uh, working with some development partners that ended up holding us ransom for oh some for some code after a, like just before an important release and happened so know, easily a, a though that one specific I know I know but and actually in terms of what we've taken forward with that is we we are incredibly ethical moral honest in how we work and we don't have ambiguity in any of our uh, arrangements and that's right. as a result of of that experience right. or, or influenced by that experience um, another another big um, real challenge early on was we sort of knew that in order to turn the business around we needed to pull it away from what it was mm-hmm. um it had about thirty thousand members when we acquired mm-hmm. it but it was almost a bit like a social network and and that was actually limiting the growth of it as a dating site so we had to remove some features like the forum we had to increase the pricing we had to make some very unpopular changes for the community and wow, did we have backlash. We had backlash because these are a community of thousands of people who love this brand and love this site. And there's these two young guys that are storming in and charging more and stripping out products and all sorts. And actually, on, on that specific challenge, because we had the best intentions for the business and the community moving forward, we basically just bared all when this was a risk. So I remember writing a big blog, explaining our actions, explaining why we've done it, right. saying what's on the, like how this is going to contribute moving forward. And at the very end of it, I said, look, I want to speak to everyone and anyone. And, and if you've got a problem, speak to me directly. And I put my, my personal mobile number on the end of this Risky. blog. And I mean, it got read <laughs> thousands of times. Like it really had a massive distribution. But zero people called me. Wow. Absolutely nobody called me. And it simmered everything back down. And I think actually that show of just authenticity and trust um, was was the game changer for us to actually bring the community with us as we turned around the the business, and actually that is another thing that that runs through everything we do now. We we are as close to our customers at all times, and that's everyone in the business. Right. In, in across all of our businesses, no matter what your position is, everybody does regular shifts on customer service, where they you know our most expensive developers, or you know, the, brilliant. No matter what you do they'll spend a couple of hours every couple of weeks actually talking to customer problems and finding out how they use the product and things like that. And and that's actually formed as a result of, of these early experiences within. within yeah. And that is house. brilliant because even if you're a tech company, you know, you, you have clients who are human beings at the end of the line, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. And it's, it's so easy to get that abstraction. Totally. Particularly if you're not in the front line, you know, and sort of business development mm. shouldn't necessarily just be something over there. Everyone should be representing the business. And, you know, that direct engagement can give that. Well, I remember some of your stories on customer services, unhappy clients and so forth made me scream with laughter. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> Mike, tell me, you know, you're in the digital space and, you know, you, you build digital businesses, you back digital businesses, among others, with your investment portfolio. Can we talk about Mm. the digital world? Because we are in a digital world. Uh, It is, you know, more and more and more the direction of travel in a very deep sense. What is your advice to, you know, one, consumers to keep up uh, and two, whatever they're a consumer of, but in in, in the world that we're in uh, with all things digital? And two, you know, with with emerging businesses, often people aren't very... um, 
you know, clear which way to go, which direction, how to use digital platforms? What would you say to them? Yeah, interesting. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure if I have anything particularly insightful to, to either party. I think, I think, but, but I think my, my kind of position on this is that if you think about great businesses, digital or not, mm-hmm. it's actually the, the, the central point of product market fit, essentially, right? It's, it's about where value is exchanged. And ultimately, whether we like it or not, or whether consumers like it or not, everything is digital now because the efficiencies of digital are just totally below a lot of other mediums out of the water you know and and i'm talking in the broadest sense of course booking your your covid jab you know it's easier to just go on the app and and they can book millions of people's in uh, people in to knowing when your next bus time is coming or or anything so i feel like consumers are not scared of digital anymore in in the broadest sense right and, you know, you only have to look at really like new generations. I, I have a nephew who's five and just seeing people of that age use technology and use digital. It just is mind blowing to think actually what the level of literacy and competency on a digital perspective will be. So so from the consumer perspective, it's kind of happening and it's here from a business perspective. I always kind of encourage businesses to essentially from a value perspective fish where the fish are right and i think if we're providing value if people ultimately want things better faster cheaper digital is essentially the way of of providing that that higher quality product and or service with a lower cost and 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 a faster delivery time so so actually just unpicking what people want and then any element of digital will enable them to achieve one of those, one or all of those things of being better, faster and cheaper. And some of the best businesses that I've come across in recent years, they're not they're not the popular ones that we've heard of. They're the kind of re-engineering of very traditional businesses that you wouldn't read about in a startup magazine because they're just not sexy enough. But actually it's the digitalization of skip hire or it's the, you know, the kind of, taking existing businesses like um, a friend of mine runs Ride2, which is a, a marketplace for uh, motorcycle CVT license lessons. Right. And actually the, these sorts of businesses where they're not stripping the human interaction out of stuff, but they're actually finding efficiency where there is inefficiency, utilising digital, that's where the real excitement is here. And what's your view, 100%, and, and obviously it's making things easier for people, right? And people, you know, totally, need yeah. ease of access. They, they look for that. You know, we know all the stats about if you go online to buy something and, you know, it takes you slightly longer than you anticipated, you're, just, you're not even going to bother going to the basket to buy whatever it is, right? Mm. Because it's just, you know, the, the journey is unpleasant because it's taking 35 seconds or whatever, right? There's this immediacy that, yeah. that we desire today. But around that, what do you do in your businesses to safeguard privacy? Because obviously this is a big theme with GDPR and and data hacking and so forth. What, what are your policies or how do you approach that, you know, to really nail it and make sure that people are protected? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. And we kind of have hard and soft measures mm-hmm. in place with this. So the, the kind of hard systems will be the actual mm-hmm. security. So all of our, as you'd expect, all of our systems across all of the businesses are encrypted. A, a lot of stuff is cloud-based. We're backed up in encrypted servers. We have, you know, hashed passwords, everything kind of as you'd expect in terms of how we manage, uh, how we manage, how we store, how we distribute data. We, we take all of the industry standard precautions. But the main thing that I think is is perhaps one of the more interesting pieces to look at is the softer systems you put around this. Right. So this is actually 
uh, encouraging people to have two-factor authentication or, or utilizing all of the edges that you can have around privacy of your kind of digital assets, if you like. But then uh, linked to that, it's about the the education around, and we, we're at the sharp end of this, we, with Toga Warehouse being dating, around actually what is good and bad etiquette of sharing information and data with other people you know it's, it's no secret that you will meet people on Toga Warehouse you will talk to people on Toga Warehouse you will share information and data on Toga Warehouse so it's actually we feel the responsibility to make sure that people are protected not just from our system and make sure that their data from the system isn't extracted but actually to make sure there's not bad actors on the site to make sure that we have any fraud potential uh, protection in it and make sure that people are equipped to protect themselves with how they how they kind of share their information online and as, as well. So has that worked broadly? It has, yeah, it has. We we haven't touched wood and luckily we haven't had any cases that I can certainly recall of somebody, uh, you know, being catfished or falling into traps within um, Toga Warehouse. But, and this is ironic because we have a, we're talking about how digital and AI and everything is the best way of doing this. We actually have a human layer that we probably will never remove on top of that. So right. every single new account that joins Toga Warehouse has all the automated checks, all images of reverse image search to make sure authenticity and things like that. But then we also have a human eye that approves every single member and also every single member's first message to another member as well right. and any repetitive messages as well. So, so um, yeah, we probably do a little bit more than, than others within the industry, but we can focus on that because we're, a, you know, we've got about 350, 400,000 members. We're, we're not, we're not, you know, a kind of, 20 million you know, so it's manageable app, you know, essentially from, from a user base it's manageable yeah, yeah so mike listen tell me you know you you um for as long as i have known you are always setting yourself challenges i mean there was once years ago i think you were doing the sugar-free for two months challenge and you were going to run a marathon yeah, in yeah. x number of months i mean you're always setting yourself up for a challenge and it really makes me think about you know, lifelong learning. And there is actually data around this somewhere, right? That every 10 years we need to give ourselves a refresh. And, you know, I think that's why, I mean, certainly among my friends, I see people going back to study or doing, you know, executive MBA courses or others, you know, with the time that they have. But some are packing in a master's across two years or a PhD across however many years whilst running businesses, running families and on and on, right? So I personally feel lifelong learning is absolutely essential. But what are you doing now with all the free time you don't have <laughs> to to push yourself forward? What are the what are the challenges you're setting yourself? And how important is that to you today where you are in your business cycles? Yeah. No, that that's a, that's a great point. So so just uh, I, I mean I love I love personal challenges, right? And, I know. and we internally everybody's everybody's big on personal challenges. And and what I mean they're not they're, they're kind of silly ones, right? So it might be wake up at a certain time every day for 30 days I did one years ago um, of kayaking to work every day for 30 days and I lived in Birmingham <laughs> along the canals um, brilliant yeah, don't don't eat sugar things like this and and I think actually what that brings me is um, firstly a level of discipline which is quite nice to have in my life I'm probably naturally not that disciplined I don't believe that but, I'm, but anyway I'm <laughs> extremist and, and uh, kind of competitive enough to myself to be, to force that discipline in yeah so maybe that's why that comes across and then secondly it's it's also it's also just an expansion of our kind of 
our, our kind of status quo, right? I think I think the more we can force ourselves into seeing things from different perspectives, experiencing things in different lights, the richer our, our kind of exposure becomes, and therefore our gut, right, and our and, and our intuition and our ability to spot opportunities or have compassion for other people or understanding for other people. So right now, a couple of things I'm working on are headspace. I, I feel like the last year has been phenomenal but has been heavy from from a work perspective and I think we're all in that position where we've just lost a little bit of that separation between life and work so so I'm definitely focusing on that uh kind of meditative side and 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 finding that headspace and I'm not very good at the kind of standard sitting down meditation and I know there's lots of different types so I'm actually exploring lots of different ways of finding that headspace um uh, and then, and then also, I'm I'm focusing on on exercise at the moment, and that's largely because I've just totally gone off the boil in in lockdown, uh, and I'm getting married in a couple. I know of you better so look nothing, sharp, okay? Like, <laughs> I know, absolutely. So, so no these pressure. are kind of your these are kind of your obvi- exactly, yeah, yeah. These are kind of your classic <laughs> obvious challenges, but the purpose behind them is that continued focus on experiencing or doing something new. And almost like changing my routine, and and actually, I, I'm a I'm as faddy as they come. Um, so even at home, I have to have a need to change a routine, right. and I, I drive my partner nuts because I I we actually change bedrooms every month. Can you believe? Oh that? my gosh! So, I so love every it. month we we switch bedrooms just so actually <laughs> just just so we're oh. not we're not. Oh, I don't feel like we're in a routine, and I yeah. kind of have that feeling of momentum yeah. that then runs through everything. So yeah, so so little things like that kind of keep me on my toes in a very easy, controllable way. But then that actually follows through with everything else. So well, it, we, you know, we like habits, right? The mind likes habits. So shaking things up uses other muscles in some respects, right? Totally. I do think totally. you know, and that could be in terms of what you do or how you confront things. I think sometimes you know, because some of us are accommodators, or some people give more, or some people, you know, it's being aware of those personal traits as well, which come into everything in life, not just your family life and with your you know closest, so but into, into business and how you operate in business and how you manage yourself, right? Absolutely, and and I think one one thing for me that that I've kind of explored upon reflection, and and with a with a mentor of mine called uh, Dave McLean, who's a phenomenal business guy in in Birmingham, and and he's phenomenal, yes, because he runs amazing businesses, but actually how he pumps his energy and resources back into the business community is just unparalleled. But actually, one thing that that he kind of taught me, and I think is the same with me, is you know we're very familiar with this concept of a comfort of zone, and if you expand your comfort zone you can go too far and you end up in kind of a panic zone, right? But then in between, there's this learning zone. And quite often we stretch ourselves out of our comfort zone and we sit in this learning zone. And if you push it too far and too far, then you end up in your panic zone. And as soon as you hit that, everybody just pings back into their comfort zone and it's very hard to leave again and stretch back into that learning zone. Yeah, because you feel exposed. It's fear of failure, right? It's fear of failure. It's kind of fear of the unknown. I mean, it's it's all sorts, and 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 you're just out of out of your depth and not feeling like you're in control. And I think everybody has a natural position that's comfortable. You know, some people want to stay in the comfort zone, and that's amazing. Some people just need to be in their panic zone and constantly extending what that panic zone is for them. 
And I think for me, my kind of natural position is on the very edge of that learning zone, just before panic. But actually, I want to <laughs> I want to try and stay there as as consistently as I can. Um, and and ways of doing that are these kind of monthly challenges to make sure I'm always doing keeping it up, even if right? my my working day to day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, it's uh, the velocity, and then, and then that's. Totally. Yeah, it's momentum, right? So so actually, the more, uh, the, my favourite saying, and if you speak to anyone in the businesses, I'm sure they're bored of me saying this, but the more, the more, the less, the less. And I think this God, is just I love that one. I'm going to remember that one. Re- honestly, and it applies to everything. So. It's. I totally agree. And I also think it's just doing, right? Uh, this is a theme I've been thinking about. Totally. Well, oh gosh, I'm contradicting myself, but I've been reflecting a lot, you know, on doing versus thinking. And, you know, it, it this is the thing that comes up for all of us, like, just get out and do stuff. You know, instead of saying, I'm thinking of doing this, I was about to set up or I nearly, you know, no, just do it and get on with it. So Mike, a couple of things before we wrap. If you think of the year that's been, you know, kids coming out of school after their A-levels or equivalent, um, uh, young people coming out of university, probably even, you know, only had maybe a year and a half actually in university over their three or four year course. What would you say to them? You know, what, what, what are your words to those people? I mean, it's interesting. I, I've I've had these conversations with my students that have left university this year, right? So, so I've I've had this conversation not from a an abstract perspective, but actually understanding people in these mm-hmm. positions. And I think the general overwhelming sentiment which I get from people is that there is a bit of there is a bit of fear around unknown at the moment. And I think that if you're interested in entrepreneurship and if you're interested in startups then the thing that is just obvious is that entrepreneurship is all about ambiguity. Creating a business, I mean, Eric Ries said it, is around, it's a human institution designed to create products or services out of conditions of extreme uncertainty. And that uncertainty is the one constant within enterprise and entrepreneurship. And I think that that is the thing that drives a lot of people to have the fear that stops them from starting a business. But if you are in uncertainty, if you are in ambiguity, and you can find some level of comfort within that, then that actually builds up your resilience to mean that you can continue to expand and grow and challenge and develop in those elements of uncertainty. It means that your natural position within that within that spectrum of, of comfort to learning to panic zone is probably more towards the further ends of the learning zone, which means you can learn faster, you can move faster, you can grow faster. And I think going back to the advice of these people, to students or, or people coming out, without a doubt, leaving university or leaving school is the time where you have less to lose. You have more time to recover. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. You're so resilient. You're so, you have more of an idea about what the future will be compared to anybody else at any other age because you're going to, you, you know, you've bought, been born into the, a closest fragment of the future than what anyone else has been. So it, I would say, like approach the uncertainty and embrace the uncertainty and our lives for you know somebody who's 25 even 30 or 20 entering into adulthood now our lives are going to be very different from the lives of people before so actually if we accept that uncertainty is a constant we accept that challenge of finding out what we want and how we want to do that whether that be a career or whether that be a business or whether that be a lifestyle business a scalable business whatever else if we lean into that that resilience that you'll build now and those kind of building blocks that you'll build now will just serve serve you so well forever uh, and so so my encourage my, my kind of concept with that is it is scary you're right but actually 
if we can take small steps to get comfortable with that as soon as we possibly can, then the cliche is, but it's true, like the world is your oyster. Totally. And, you know, it's brilliant what you said, and it's so inspiring. And, 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 you know, you're totally right. Mike, what has been the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think it's just about persistence being everything. And this is from my uncle, uh, Mick. And I think early on, when, when I was sort of kind of involved in business, and I was he once had 300 tons of ironmongery that he kind of let me try and sell it to people. And obviously, I was 16 at the time, I got pushed back and kicked back, no one wanted to take me seriously. And he said, like with everything, sales is is about persistence, like everything is about persistence. Yeah, persistent and action, I call it. Just, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. Persistent action. And it's not just about blind persistence, it's about being persistent, being aware, being resilient to whatever comes and just keep on going. And I think, I think that that works across everything. And I think linking back to, as you were sort of alluding to, in terms of the thing that we've become most familiar with, with within digital is that we want everything now, right? We, we kind of don't accept delayed gratification anymore. We don't, we, we, we don't want to wait 35 seconds for a checkout. But actually, we can't let that transfer into everything else that we're doing. You know, persistence, persistence is key across a lot of things, particularly within entrepreneurship. Listen, um... I have one final question for you. It's been so brilliant uh-huh. to see you today. Seriously, we could talk all day. If you could have coffee with anyone, past or present, who would that be? Do you know, I do not have a smart answer for this. this <laughs> Don't hold back. Of, of course, it would be you. Thank Dee. you. I, like I mean, obvious, morning, so, obvious, so most I've important worked, response. So I've <laughs> <laughs> I've won. You've won. Uh, no, definitely. I think, I think if I was to if I if I was to have coffee with anyone, I think I think I'd be really fascinated to have coffee with somebody who's who's been like a really controversial leader in 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 time gone by. Um, and I think the reason why I would err towards someone who's controversial is because I feel like there's certain motivations that that people have in controversy that actually drive them or or, or they they stick to that actually aren't always obvious to everybody else. So, you know, this might be controversial political leaders or it might be controversial business leaders. But I, but I feel like I've got a lot to learn from that by understanding the human element of it. That's my approach. So if you had to pull I a name out, who would it, is there one that comes to mind or no? I mean, the obvious one might be jobs, but that but I hate saying that. And I hate that because it's so cliche. But I feel like the the persistence that he had in difficult times were, were was was kind of is inspiring. That's part of the reason why his whole story is inspiring. Uh, another one that, that actually would be really interesting is is Disney. Yeah, totally. And I feel like Disney would is is a really, a really interesting figure because he had this vision that actually was he he was so focused on that vision to the detriment of a lot of other stuff and i think i i'm inspired by people that are that are kind of really focused you know i i kind of love spending time with people that really love something that that could be cooking you know or it could be business, it's about having a passion isn't else, it but, but I get it's about a that. passion it's and exactly i think that, yeah, you know yeah. As we wrap, I mean, you are someone who's filled with passion. Everything you do, you know, you give it everything you've got and, and you find the humor in it and you find a way forward. And that is, you know, those are huge qualities that you possess in spades. And um, Mike, it's been fantastic to see you today, to have this time together and it's to really hear to more from you. you. And um, I'm super excited for the next few years, you know, what's going to happen next in the world of Mike Bander. So thank you so much. 
and see you very soon thanks for the time thank you lots of love bye thanks for listening to this episode of double espresso with d with me d sterling if you enjoyed it i'd love you to review and subscribe to the podcast so we can share these amazing stories with others i'd also love to connect with you so feel free to contact me via instagram dm at d double espresso until the next time au revoir